Good morning, and welcome to Mayflower Church on this Sunday morning. Here we believe that faith is a journey, God is so good, Jesus saves, and the Spirit leads us towards faith, hope, and love as we honor the dignity of all humanity. We're so happy that you're here with us today, whether you're here in person or live streaming. If you're here in person, please take this opportunity to sign the Friendship Register. And if you are live streaming, there is a button that you can push so that we know that you are here with us this morning. We have prayer cards in the pew rack in front of you for you to share either a prayer request or a praise. This morning, these cards will be received during our first hymn, not our second hymn. So this is different by the ushers. After the service, if you would like personal prayer, Pastor Steve will be up front for you to come. These books of Mayflower's history, the first 25 years, are still available in the back. I've heard that many of you have enjoyed them. The pictures are fantastic, so please feel free to pick one up if you haven't already. This morning, we have a special update from our pastoral search committee. Please welcome Andy Scott. Good morning. Uh, my name is Andy Scott, and I'm honored to be a, a member of Mayflower's search committee to find our next senior pastor. While our committee continues to diligently work to find our next senior pastor, I'd be remiss if I didn't sincerely thank our existing interim co-pastors, Pastor Steve and Pastor Ruth, our outstanding staff, our moderator and counsel, and the many people that have actively engaged to make sure that Mayflower continues to be a vibrant community of followers of Christ. I know it's been all hands on deck. And while all these people have done a fantastic job, we recognize the need and the importance to make sure that we efficiently and effectively fill this role. I wanted to provide you with a couple of highlights on the work that's been done to date, as well as make a few asks of the congregation. First is making sure that everyone's aware that there's information posted on our website. And that includes a fantastic video that highlights our church for prospective candidates. Thank you, Pastor Ruth. Uh, the job description and a list of search committee members. You're welcome and encouraged to reach out to any of the committee members with suggestions or questions. Our search has been multifaceted. We've posted in a number of religious publications. We've reached out to dozens of seminaries and posted on their job boards. We've networked with members and friends of Mayflower and contracted with a search firm all in an effort to find the right fit for Mayflower. Since we commenced our search to date, we've had a total of 68 candidates express interest. Uh, with six of those individuals, we had initial interviews either via Zoom or over coffee. From those six, we took two to the next step, which consisted of a, an extensive in-person interview. Unfortunately, while we thoroughly enjoyed the conversations, unfortunately, none of those individuals were the right fit for our church. We as a search committee continue to look at resumes and candidates, knowing that the right person's out there and will be called to Mayflower. I'll ask of you, first, if you have potential candidates or anyone you think we should be talking to, we would welcome those opportunities. Second, we ask that you please continue to pray for our church and the search committee as we continue the search. Thank you. Thank you, Andy. In your bulletin, you will see we have all sorts of announcements. 
One of the newer announcements is that you will find your poinsettia order envelopes in your pew rack for us to order our poinsettias for the holiday season. And if you are able, we are asking for volunteers to stay after the service to help us set up the beautiful, huge Christmas trees that adorn our sanctuary and our atrium for the holiday season. This will be the first time our custodial staff does not do it. So we will try to do our best ourselves and make that happen. So if you can help, please meet me down in the fellowship hall. Thursday, we will have our traditional Thanksgiving service at 10 a.m. in the chapel. The choir will be singing, and we will be collecting diapers and wipes for the refugee families that Bethany Christian Service serves. We have been blessed to be a blessing. Please welcome Barbara Gordon at this time, who is going to share about Mayflower's stewardship campaign. Thank you, Barbara. Good morning. My name is Barbara Gordon. Why I support Mayflower Church financially. Why not? My husband George and I joined Mayflower in 1963. Our son was five years old. Both of us had been members of a church where we grew in churches in Illinois. We felt that everyone needs faith a church home, and we wanted our son to be active in the youth activities. There are Christians who do not go to church, but we personally knew we needed to be part of a church community. George's memorial was July 17th of this year here in the sanctuary. I was comforted during the service knowing that I am at home here. He is in the Calabarium, but I know his soul is in heaven. What if I did not believe that? I find strength from my faith to go on with life, even with grieving. The Bible studies are nurturing and fulfilling. Studying the scripture and applying it to our lives is valuable in growing in faith. Also becoming friends with other members and praying for each other is so important. And I have so many close friends at Mayflower, as all of you do. I am a strong believer in Christian outreach. We have sponsored children at Eden's Ministry for 25 years plus. Susan and Kevin are outstanding Christians, and their accomplishments are amazing. Mayflower supports many fine programs through outreach in Grand Rapids. We need to reach our budget so that we can continue to support these wonderful and excellent programs. The world and our country is in such turmoil. There's so much angst, and many do not care or think of others. And people need the moral teachings of Christ. Certainly our youth are in need of Christ's teachings and comfort. Too many young people suffer depression and anxiety. Our children from early age through teenagers and beyond need our church teachings. They need to feel secure here and in the love and encouragement of our church family. And they need to feel comfortable here with other youth. 
My nephew often asks me why I'm so positive. Because I have God's love and grace, strength, comfort, and joy. Each morning, I thank him for my many blessings. God, not my nephew. As I grow older, my church and faith become more meaningful and important. Mayflower has excellent ministers, staff, music, and many programs for all ages. It is our responsibility to support all our church and has to offer and spread Christianity throughout Grand Rapids and our country. It is the best investment we can make. So why do I support Mayflower? Why not? Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. Today, I want to highlight the anthem that we're singing during the offertory. Those words, do not be afraid. You are mine. I call you by name. What comforting words from scripture. And those words are in today's scripture reading, which is why this anthem was picked today, a setting of these words by Philip Stopford, an English composer born in 1977, who started his musical career as a chorister at Westminster Abbey. He takes these words and brings this mantra back, these comforting, you you are mine, do not be afraid. You hear those over and over, and he writes them in such a tender and uh, very personal way. As I was reading about this anthem last night, I also found out that it was a commission for a baptism, and the fact that we have a baptism today connects us to this uh, wonderful sacrament, too.
we come to worship Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. We stand today before Christ the King, whose reign is just, whose power is endless, and whose love is unfathomable. Let us join now the chorus of saints, as with thankful hearts we again declare, Jesus Christ is our King.
Let us pray together for the many thanksgivings in our lives. Most blessed and most beautiful Christ, in you we receive all things. The receiving takes growth, and so you give us guiding, saints and sages and scriptures. Thank you for the guiding. The receiving takes others, and so you give us the world, nature and neighbors and nations and our Mayflower family. Thank you for the world. The receiving takes change, and so you give us seasons, beginnings, and endings, and new beginnings. Thank you for the seasons. The receiving takes time, and so you give us time, present and future and forever. Thank you for the time. But most wonderful of all, you give us yourself. And in you, Christ, we belong to you, to God the Father, and to each other. Thank you for the giving. For in you, we receive all things. Amen. join in saying yay yay the whole church children what a great and marvelous blessing and what a joy for the church to welcome a little one in the sacrament of baptism today john and sarah groton bring their newborn six-month-old harrison thomas scratton to be baptized the church accepts this responsibility seeing children as a great gift in committing itself to care for the little ones that God brings to us. And parents demonstrate their faith and commitment to Jesus Christ today as they present Harrison to the Lord in this service. What we do today is to commit as parents, as friends and family, as church, commit to this little one who is precious in God's sight, as he begins his sojourn on this earth. And we will do all that we can by the grace of God to nurture, love, and instruct in the way of Jesus Christ. We are absolutely convinced that Jesus loves Harrison eternally and powerfully, and that we celebrate. And so, John and Sarah, let me ask you as parents, you make a great statement today to accept your responsibility to nurture your son in the faith. And I ask you, as followers of Christ, do you now unreservedly present Harrison to the Lord Jesus Christ? We do. And do you promise in humble reliance upon God's grace to teach him the Word of God, to love him and pray for him and with him, to help him in every way as God gives you opportunity so that he may become 
a true follower of Jesus. We do. In congregation, we are blessed to have a part in this precious, precious life. Think of the years ahead and all the adventures and all the decisions and all the experience that will be Harrison's. So I ask us now to join together in the word that is in your order of service in this commitment. With joy and thanksgiving, we welcome you into Christ's church, for we are all one in Christ. We promise to love, encourage, and support you, to share the good news of the gospel with you, and help you to know and follow Jesus Christ. May God bless these waters of baptism as we bring a young and precious life before our God. And so, Harrison Thomas Groton, Jesus Christ calls you to himself. And I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, and amen. So, Harrison, welcome to the journey. We don't know where it will lead you. But we know that God loves you and he will go with you every step of the way. And all these people out here in the church, we commit to love you and care for you in Jesus' name. And Harrison and family are going to take a trip up and down the aisle as the choir sings. And I'd ask you just to extend your hand in blessing toward this young life and welcome him into this church. I'd like to invite all the children worshiping with us to come forward for the children's message.
Good morning. It's so wonderful to see all of you today. Today is the last Sunday of our stewardship campaign here at Mayflower. And what that means is that all the people that come to Mayflower make a commitment and they fill out these commitment cards. And their commitment is saying, I want to commit a certain amount of my money every year to give to Mayflower Church so that Mayflower has money for the electricity and we have money for cookies after service and all those wonderful things that it takes to run a church. And so sometimes this is confusing because it's tied with a word called tithing. Has anyone heard of the word tithing? No. Okay, so the word tithing means one-tenth. Who has done fractions so far in school? Okay, a couple of you. We're all going to do a fraction together. So I need ten of you to hold up a $1 bill. If I give you a $1 bill, I need you to stand up. All right, so stand up with the $1 bills. All right, all right. Would you like to hold one? All right, Anna Jane, I'll give you one. Oh, my goodness, I have so many to give out. They're big ones, aren't they? I know. They look very real. All right. All right, so everyone with their $1 bill, stand up and hold your $1 bill. So we have 10 $1 bills. So one-tenth of that would be... One dollar. So I'm going to have Diane, you're going to stand right here. Okay. So now, here is my tithe. My tithe of $10 is one-tenth. But then I have nine other dollars over here that I get to do something with. So a lot of you are going to start earning money soon, like babysitting or watching dogs or just helping out around the house, and you may get an opportunity to earn $10. So when you have your $10, you divide it up, and you have your $1 over here, you're tithing, and you have your $9 over here. In Luke, Jesus says that, I'm going to quote it, where your treasure is, there your heart is too. So this looks like our treasure, doesn't it? If we leave our $1 bill till our very last dollar that we spend, are we saying that this was the most important dollar? If we spend our whole $9 first, and then we're like, oh, yeah, we're supposed to give this tenth to the church, does that make this dollar feel important? No. But if we have our $10 out, and our very first thing that we spend our money on is what goes to God and what goes to him, that makes it very special, and that keeps our hearts always looking towards God. So as you grow up and as you earn money, you'll get to tithe to church as well. And today in Sunday school, you are going to get your very own offering envelope. So you get to be just like the grown-ups and put your tithing and all of God's gifts back to the church. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful for all the blessings that you give to us, and we are so thankful that we get to turn around 
and give them back to you. May this be in our heart today and always. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have a dollar bill, you can keep that. Don't spend it. It won't go far. And then I would like to dismiss all of you to Sunday school with Mrs. Wiener and Mrs. Houlihan and Mrs. Conway. So if everyone wants to stand up, we will go this way and head off to Sunday school. Good morning. Our scripture this morning is from Acts 18. Acts 18, verses 1 through 17. And this can be found in your Pew Bible on page 786. 786. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook off his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth, made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle this matter yourselves. 
I will not be a judge of such things. So he drove them off. Then the crowd there turned on Sathanes, the synagogue's leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul, and Gallio showed no concern whatever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Holy God, you meet us here in this space, and we are so grateful. You've brought us through this fall with grace, with mercy, and with wonderful surprises. We're still here. We are bearing witness to your work in our lives and in the life of this church. We desperately want this to continue. So work in and through us to be the people you would have us to be. We love you and praise you today. Amen. I have a question for you. Do you love to travel? Are you one of those people that you have your passport handy, you're accumulating your flyer miles, and you just can't wait to go somewhere? Do you experience great joy hauling out the suitcases and planning our itineraries? I do. What's your favorite country? Or maybe your, your favorite city? Do you love the bustle of Chicago? Or do you love the rolling hills of wine country? Are you the kind of traveler that uh, you like to go to places you're familiar with? You kind of know the groove. Or do you like to strike out and explore new destinations? Have you ever traveled to areas where the cultural differences are striking? Have you struggled with language barriers, weird foods, customs that make you uncomfortable? Have you ever visited a city where the variety of different cultural groups congregating in one region was remarkable? Perhaps you've been to Toronto. That's often referred to as the most diverse city in the world. Or maybe you've been to Houston. That American city tops the list of the most diverse. There are many places in the world where myriad cultures coexist. And what we see in our text this morning is just such a place, Corinth. Acts chapter 18 begins with Paul leaving Athens and traveling to Corinth. To understand what happens to Paul there, and perhaps glean some insight for ourselves, it might help to know a little bit more about this ancient city. Corinth was a Greek city strategically placed on an isthmus, a narrow stretch of land bridging two larger land masses across water. In this case, Corinth sat between the Aegean and the Adriatic Sea, And it was known as a commercial center with a double harbor. Corinth was a bustling cosmopolitan place full of traders and sailors and travelers. People from all over the ancient world visited Corinth and shaped its culture. So Corinth was a Greek city, but it found itself at the time of Paul's visit under the rule of the Roman Empire. So this meant that Corinth was deeply affected by this blend of Greek and Roman culture. This hybrid culture encompassed 
the worship on one hand of the Roman imperial cult, as well as worshiping the Greek mythological gods like Poseidon, Demeter, and Aphrodite. A temple to Aphrodite called the Acrocorinthus crowned the high mountain on which Corinth stood, a visible and constant presence. What kind of presence was this notable temple? Well, Aphrodite is known as the goddess of sex, love, and fertility. Her temple was famous for sacred prostitution and was staffed with 1,000 female slaves. I know some of you don't love that Grand Rapids is known as Beer City, but I can assure you Corinth was worse. The verb to Corinth in popular Greek means to fornicate. Yes, I just said that. So Corinth was certainly thought of as a commercial and political center of Greece at this time, but it also had a reputation for immorality and wickedness. It's not the sort of place you'd expect to find a follower of Christ. And its reputation would have, been, would have been something that Paul was well aware of. In fact, Paul writes in the first letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 2, verse 3, that on his inaugural visit to Corinth, he came, quote, in weakness and in much fear and trembling. So why would Paul have chosen Corinth of all cities to share the gospel? Well, we don't know specific details, but we do know that Paul sought out Jewish communities in the places he visited with the desire to share the story of the Messiah, Jesus, with them. And by this time, Rome had kicked out all of the Jews, so Jewish refugees were spread all across the Roman Empire. So Paul arrives in Corinth, and he seeks sympathetic Jews. Two such people were Priscilla and Aquila. They had been ejected from Rome by an edict of the Emperor Claudius. And like so many others, they had to start over. What do you do when you have to start over in a new city? Well, one thing is you need to make a living, right? And ply your trade. So verse 3 tells us that Paul went to find Priscilla and Aquila because they were of the same trade. Many translations refer to them as tent makers, but it's more likely that they worked with leather, perhaps leather, tents, or coverings. The principal product of Paul's native province was a cloth of goat's hair called silicium, and it was used for cloaks, curtains, and other fabrics designed to be waterproof. So it's highly likely that Paul was skilled in working with silicium and other animal hides. So he sought out people who did what he did. Interestingly enough, the voluntary associations of tradespeople in this era were the social clubs of the day. So these groups of tradespeople shared property as well as market shares. So Paul would have had numerous reasons to join up with others of his trade in the city. So in Greek, the words club, association, ekklesia, or church are all the same word. It's quite possible that the church in Corinth started as a business club 
of leather workers. So Paul was certainly strategic in how he formed friendships and associations. Through these, Paul started churches all throughout the region. Paul was not alone in his gospel-spreading endeavors, but it may have felt that way sometimes. Scripture tells us that Paul reasoned with the Jews. He started with his people, right? Yet they were not always receptive. In Acts 18, verse 6, the Jews opposed and reviled him. And in his discouragement, he says, fine, I'll go to the Gentiles, as if the Gentiles are the last choice, the last resort. Yet right on the heels of this statement, Paul goes next door to the synagogue, meets a God worshiper, and then the next verse tells us that Crispus, great name by the way, the official of the synagogue, has become a Jesus believer. So this is super confusing, isn't it? Are the Jews converting or not? Are the Gentiles getting it or not? Paul's plan in a new city was always to find a synagogue where he could discuss or argue with his fellow Jews about the news that Jesus is the Messiah. But what's evident is that the response to this news is mixed. It's just simply not clear who's going to receive this good news and who is not. Can we relate to this? I know a Mayflower member who has been actively encouraging members who have not been to church since before COVID to come back. This particular member has been discouraged that several peers seem to have fallen away. They've developed new habits on Sundays that don't include church attendance. This member is concerned about the future of the church and the spiritual life of its membership. Perhaps you are too. What's interesting is this person was also telling me about a surprise encounter with a new family that's looking for a church. And they were thrilled to hear all about Mayflower and schedule a visit. We have eight people and counting currently on our list for new membership. We consistently have 40 to 50 households, waving at you, joining us via live stream and many more listen throughout the week. We cannot anticipate who will be open to growing in faith. We simply get to continue to extend the invitation, don't we, to tell the good story. The bottom line for Paul is that this early church was a hodgepodge of folks, some with backgrounds like Paul's, but many others who came to Christ through the haze of Greek mythological fixation and Roman cult worship. I would imagine that Paul was tired. All that traveling and being misunderstood takes its toll. And then, God. God knows Paul and sees what he's doing and knows his heart. So what does God do? God shows up. God shows up in a vision in verse 10 in which he tells Paul, Do not be afraid. Speak and don't be silent. For I am with you. And no one's going to lay a hand on you and harm you. For there are many in this city who are my people. I am with you. The message translation of this verse reads, Keep it up, and don't let anyone intimidate or silence you. No matter what happens, I am with you, and no one's going to be able to hurt you. You have no idea how many people I have on my side in this city. 
There's so many examples, ribbon throughout scripture, where God or an angel or a divine messenger shows up. And what's the first thing that's always said, almost always said? Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. For many of us, as we look toward the future, we have very real fear. Whether it's the recurrence of the pandemic, oh, inflation, climate crisis, polarization, violence, illness, death, the list is quite long. And in a church stewardship campaign and leadership search, we can all agree that the future is uncertain. And it's easy to feel alone in our fear, especially when, like Paul, we are often surrounded by ungodliness and confusion. Can we claim the message of Paul's vision today? Don't be afraid. Speak and don't be silent. I'm with you. No one's going to harm you. I have people. God can surprise us like God surprised Paul. Not only did God provide the most amazing partners in ministry through Priscilla and Aquila, but the text tells us that many of the Corinthians who heard Paul became believers and were baptized. I have people. We have people. We have each other. And who knows who else is ready to join us. But reading on in our text this morning, however, we come to this strange passage about Gallio. Where and why does Gallio, the Roman leader of Corinth, fit into this narrative? The case brought before Gallio involved the Jews proclaiming that Paul was preaching a religion not approved by Roman law. So Judaism was officially recognized by Roman law, but this new movement of Jesus was not. So the Jews were leveling a charge against Paul that was very serious. They were charging him with treason. But Gallio did not take up their case. Paul was not charged with treason, meaning the case got dismissed. Gallio was not interested in a squabble between Jews about doctrine. It was not serious enough for his involvement. Writer A.N. Wilson makes a fascinating statement about this account of Paul being brought before Gallio in the book of Acts. He writes, for most years of New Testament scholarship, no one had an idea whether this story was true or false. There was no other evidence that Gallio was ever governor in Corinth. Then, in 1905, an inscription was found in Delphi, dated A.D. 52, which confirmed the plausibility of Luke's history. It dated Gallio's time as proconsul. So Luke, the author of Acts, has given us a completely accurate account of judicial procedure in a Roman province. Paul and his friends belong to the real world of history and not mythology. Their actions, even their beliefs, are not solely contained within our Christian Bibles, but to that bright, sunny Mediterranean world in which Gallio and Paul found themselves face to face. The year is A.D. 51 or 52. By counting backwards, we can estimate that some 18 years since Paul's conversion on that road to Damascus. And by his own account, Paul has spent nearly all of this time as a spiritual outcast. Paul was not trying to start a new religion or an alternative to Judaism. He believed he had cracked the secret of what Judaism was. 
He thought that it was a series of promises which had been fulfilled with the arrival of God's anointed. He thought that the life, suffering, death, resurrection, and rising into heaven of Jesus were the preludes to the end of history. Is the life, suffering, death, resurrection, and rising into heaven of Jesus the prelude to the end of history? Do we believe this? If Gallio had ruled against Paul and convicted him of treason, the spread of the gospel would have probably been much more difficult. God said in Paul's vision, you have no idea how many people I have on my side in this city. Paul was traveling all over the ancient world to cities like Corinth with cult worship and temple sex slaves and all kinds of horrors because he was convinced that God had done the most remarkable thing ever through Jesus. Are we also convinced of this? And God responded to Paul's passion through a vision and through a promise that I am with you. Do we know that promise is for us too? As we conclude our fall series, Why Church Mayflower Acts, we hope you have been challenged and inspired by the early church written about in the book of Acts. We hope you have been comforted that the same God who guided this fledgling church guides us now. And the same gospel, that good story of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is what we are called to share and embody. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Christ gives us the opportunity to share in his work. One way that we do that is to offer our gifts. And whether you give online or use text or give physically here at the church, your gifts are an act of worship, a response to God's love in Christ. As we have been so abundantly blessed, we give to bless others. So as the ushers come now, May extravagant generosity be be the mark of our giving.
God of love, we return these gifts to you. May you bless and sanctify them to your purpose. We pray this in the name of the one who loved us and gave himself for us, Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Let us continue to pray as a church family. Almighty, eternal, and holy God, who is, who was, and who is to come, worthy are you to receive our praise and thanksgiving. Loving God of power and justice and peace, In our broken world, we seek a new order. Give us courage to speak truth to power. Give us here at this church a unity of heart and mind so that all might find support and encouragement. May this be a place of healing, of peace, and mercy for all. And Lord, we cry out for your mercy, for your healing touch, for your loving presence in requests that come to us this day. Helen Bell prays for her husband who experienced a serious heart attack just last night. Oh, be with Rob, the Lord. And for our friend Phil Chamberlain, who, as we have been worshiping, is being driven to the Cleveland Clinic for heart surgery. Be so close to Phil this day. And for Robert Brandy, 95 years, now in hospice care, the father of Nancy Miller. Be so with Robert this day. And be with those who have led our stewardship drive. We thank you for Barbara Holman, Barbara Gordon and her testimony this day. And now as the drive comes to its completion, may you move our hearts that we might respond according to your will. We want to be your people every step of the way. We ask that you would forgive where we have failed, that you would strengthen where we have grown weak, that you would quicken our hearts and make us alive if we've grown dull and stale when we hear that old story of your love. We thank you for life, young and old. We ask now, Lord, that the Spirit of the living God might fill us this day.
And as we have come to you in many ways, even this day, we come to you now in the words of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please remember that Steve is available after the service if you would like personal prayer. It is our deep desire for you to know that we are here for you and honored to seek God with you in your time of need or celebration. And now for a benediction. May you not be afraid. May you speak and not fall silent. May you always know that God is with you and that no one will lay a hand on you or harm you.
may you have eyes to see that this city is full of God's people. Amen.